I'm very excited to be with you all for the next two weeks in a row. It's going to be awesome as we just get the chance to take a journey through Scripture, to take a look at two stories in which I feel are, are most commonly overlooked. And these two stories, even though they may be somewhat short, they actually give us a lot to reveal about the extent that Christ went so you and I could be here this morning. And being as such, I decided to call this series, Taking My Place. Because we're going to look at two stories in which Jesus took the place of someone so they could live, and then see how we can really relate that and adapt that into our own lives. So let's just jump right on into it this morning. If you have your Bibles or your tablets or whatever you're using, we're going to start in Matthew 27, verse 11. And we're going to kind of read a chunk of scripture first, so bear with me, and then we'll break it down once we're through it. It'll also be up here on the screen behind me. So Matthew 27, 11 starts this way. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who was called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the petroleum and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Wow. Here we see a picture of Jesus on the way to the cross to be crucified. And everything seems to kind of be going hand in hand in the story until all of a sudden an interesting figure interrupts our narrative and his name is Barabbas. But we have to stop here in our story and ask the question, just who really was Barabbas? I mean, who is Barabbas? What do we know about him? 
when doing some research and reading through different articles and different non-Christian and Christian scholars, the truth is we don't know much about Barabbas at all. We know very little about him. In fact, one of the things that we know is that his name in the Hebrew, it literally translates to child of man. That's just so informative, right? That's just so much information there. No, it's ambiguous. Everybody is a child of man. Every son, every male is a child of his father. Every female is the daughter of her father. We are all children of our fathers, children of man. Therefore, we're all little Barabbases running around today, if you think about it. But we also know two other things, or one really big other thing about Barabbas. We know that he was a thief and that he was a robber. And we know that during this day and age, he was actually arrested by the Roman government for two reasons. First, for insurrection, which is rebellion against the Roman Empire. And second, for murder. Now, we don't know whether it was somebody in the town that he had murdered as he was trying to rob them, or maybe it was a Roman government official or some Roman guard during his uprising. We don't really know. But we know that he was hunted, he was captured, he was arrested, he was tried, and he was convicted and found guilty of murder. And because this is first century Palestine, and it was under Roman rule and therefore under Roman law, the Roman law stated that the punishment for such a crime was death by crucifixion. So when our story started out this morning, Barabbas, no doubt, sat in a dark, cold jail cell, chained to a wall, just waiting for his executioner to come. There could be no expectation in his mind or in his heart that he would be that one released during the Passover celebration. But you see, Pilate, who was the Roman governor at this time, he upheld the Roman tradition that every year during Passover, the Romans would release a prisoner back to the people that they have asked for. It was kind of a way to show Rome's mercy as a, a thank you for having to endure through all the Roman occupation for the entire year. In reality, it was more like a bribe. So that way, if a, a mob or an uprising were to occur, the Romans could say, do you remember that good thing that we did for you? We don't have to do that anymore and try to squash that rebellion before it even starts. But could Barabbas really hope to be the one released that day? I mean, surely there had to have been other prisoners whose incarceration was solely political, who maybe were these little misdemeanor crimes, or maybe were falsely imprisoned, people who didn't deserve to be there. But Barabbas, he was guilty. He was a criminal. He was a murderer. He was tried, he was found guilty, he was convicted, and he had a sentence placed on him by the governor himself. The governor had signed and stamped his seal of approval on a death warrant for Barabbas. And all that was left for him was to be crucified. But there's another man in our story that we need to look at real quick before we move any further. And his name is Jesus the Messiah. You see, he was brought bound and beaten and bruised, and bloody, and in shackles as he was dragged into the inner courts of Pilate by the high priests and the mob of people. You see, they wanted Jesus's blood. They wanted blood to be shed. But because this is Roman territory and under Roman law, the Roman law stated that only the Romans could execute someone. So they wanted Pilate to act as their executioner. So Pilate takes Jesus and he goes in private and he questions him and he finds that Jesus is innocent. And so he goes to release Jesus back to the people, but he's troubled because he thinks, why did they bring Jesus to me in the first place? 
This sounds more like a civil issue or a spiritual issue than a federal case. I don't really understand. But nevertheless, Pilate is at a crossroads because you see, he looks and he says, here I hold the destinies of these two men in my hands. So in looking out and seeing the mob in front of him chanting, no, rather yelling for the crucifixion of Jesus, Pilate has a decision to make. He can either let this man, known as Jesus, who's innocent, go free back into the public against their wishes, or he can let this man named Barabbas, a murderer who's guilty, be released back to the people where he could go and kill and murder again. See, either way, it's pretty much a lose-lose for Pilate. But nevertheless, he looks at the crowd and he asks the question, who do you want? But you see, in Pilate's heart, there's no comparison There's no contest. This man, Barabbas, he's the rightful prisoner. He's the rightful criminal. He is a man who's deserving of death row. He's a murderer. He's a bad guy. He's a thug. He's a crook. He's a criminal. He deserves the chains. He deserves crucifixion. But this man, Jesus, what has he done but heal and deliver and restore, and save. He allowed the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He allowed the lame to get up and walk. He provided miracles to give people hope. What has he done? But nevertheless, who is it that you want? Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. And that's exactly what the people wanted. The people started chanting over and over again, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. So without any choice, the Roman guards walk over, put the key in his shackles and turn the key and they fall and hit the floor. And Barabbas steps down from that platform as he's welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people, they love me. I don't care who that Jesus guy is. The people, they love me. See, there's no record of Barabbas ever turning around saying, thank you, Jesus, because you have set me free. No, we don't see any of that. It's almost like there's no conscience inside Barabbas whatsoever. But what we do see is Jesus standing silently on that platform because he knew the will of the Father. He stood there silently, but inside he's saying, yes, Father, let them have Barabbas. For you see, Jesus knew that the father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas in order to treat Barabbas like Jesus. Let me say that again because that's so important and so confusing when you really think about it. Jesus knew that the father would have to treat Jesus like a crook, like a criminal, like someone deserving of death, like Barabbas, so he could treat Barabbas like a free man, like life, like hope, like love, like Jesus Christ himself. See, Barabbas thought it was the people who had set him free that day, but it wasn't. It was the love of a heavenly father and only his love. So when we look at this story, we have to go back and ask our first original question. And the question is just who really is Barabbas? And I'm going to tell you because it's your first fill in the blank. We need to recognize that Barabbas is us. Barabbas is you. Barabbas is me. And you may be sitting there today thinking, no way, Matt, I'm not a criminal. I'm not a thug. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a robber. I mean, I don't even understand why God would have let someone like this go free in the first place. But it's in that very same train of thought that God speaks and he says, even though you don't understand, I love Barabbas. 
and I wanted to set him free just like I want to set you free. Now, it reminds me of another passage in Scripture in Romans 5.8. It says, For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God sent his son to die for Barabbas that day, knowing full well that Barabbas wouldn't accept Jesus Christ. He wouldn't recognize the gift that had been given to him so freely. And how much are we really like Barabbas in that manner? I mean, yeah, we may not be criminals or murderers or thugs or thieves, and if you are, see me after service. Actually, don't. That'd be really awkward real fast, right? But we may not be these terrible people, but how many times do we go through this life turning our back on Jesus saying, I don't need your help. I don't need you to rescue me. I got myself into this. I can get myself out of this. I know how to control my life and my future better than you ever could. How many times have we strayed away and we say that this life is all about chance and the harder we work, the more that we're able to succeed, the greater that things are for us. But that's so far from the truth. See, the harder you work, the more enslaved and bound to this world that you become. And in doing so, the more encapsulated by sin and the urges of temptation you fall to. And to this idea and this overwhelming desire and greed and this hunger in order to do whatever it takes to succeed. And to do so, you start compromising yourself, giving little bits and pieces of yourself away until you find yourself falling to the temptation of sin. Then you think, how did I get myself here? This isn't where I started. What's going on in my life? And you realize that you are now bound, that you are now chained to a sin, to a temptation, to your past, to a regret, to a fear, to a doubt, to something in your life where you have become your very own prisoner. How many of you feel like Barabbas, chained up in a prison of sin, in a prison of pain, in a prison of suffering that you so desperately want to get free from, but you don't know how to? What are you going to do? We are no match for the power and the urges of sin and temptation. We can't get ourselves free. We can never get ourselves free. There's only one man who could set us free, and it's that same man who stood that day on that platform and said, Yes, Father, let them have Barabbas and take me instead. You see, Jesus' substitution for Barabbas that day wasn't some miraculous reprieve for an innocent man. No. See, Barabbas was guilty. He was guilty of robbery. He was guilty of violating the Roman law. He was guilty, whether through negligence or being deliberate, of taking someone's life away. And he deserved to be punished. The fact is, so does all of mankind. You see, when Christ came to die for us, he didn't come to sacrifice himself for this poor, weak, innocent mankind from the clutches of a big, bad, mean old Satan. No. Look at the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 5. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It says we were his enemies. We weren't this ignorant people in need of rescue. We were these hateful, vengeful, spiteful, sinful rebels going against God and deserving to be punished. And that brings me to our second fill-in-the-blank this morning, that just like Barabbas, we too are also under a sentence. Every single one of us is under a sentence. All of mankind stands guilty before a holy God. 
All of us stand under the curse of the law, which demands that blood be shed for death of the transgressor. No exceptions. Unless, of course, you can find someone who's willing to take your place. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did that day. You see, he really did take Barabbas' place because the people had a decision to make. Either Barabbas or Jesus would go free. Only one of them could be set free. And the moment they chose Barabbas, all of his shame, his guilt, his sin, his crimes, his punishment became transferred onto Jesus Christ to where Jesus became the substitute for the criminal. Jesus took Barabbas' place. That brings me to my third and final point this morning is this, that just as Jesus took Barabbas' place, we need to recognize that Jesus also died for us. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. Just like Barabbas was set free, Jesus has become our substitute. He has become a curse for us so that way we can be set free from the curse that demands death in our lives. So it could have been you that day, chained up in a jail cell, waiting for your executioner to come, waiting for punishment to befall in your life. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning as you start off this year, where you feel that you're just so chained down, that you're so shackled to the weight of sin, the weight of these decisions you've made, of a past mistake, of something in your life that's just pushing you down to where you're trying to get up to reach to Jesus, but you just can't do it. Maybe you're bound and you're frustrated and you've given up hope. But the good news is that just as Jesus has saved Barabbas, Jesus wants to save you too. The death that you deserve, Jesus took it. The punishment you deserve, Jesus takes it. The separation from God you deserve, Jesus takes it. The truth is, just as Barabbas was set free, Christ has also set us free. So we don't have to be bound by these things anymore. We don't have to be afraid anymore. One final thing to mention about Barabbas before we close today is this, that even though Barabbas got off scot-free from his crimes, we don't really know how he felt about any of it. Maybe he was accepting, maybe he was thankful, or maybe he was ungrateful and calloused about everything. We don't really know, but how much of that truly is like us? I mean, we know that Christ died for us, but what do we do with that information? Do we truly live our life believing that that is true? Do we go to Christ before we make any major decision, knowing that he knows the plan for our life, that his ways are better than our ways, and we should be consulting him in everything that we do? No, we don't. Do we go to Christ before we make any purchase, or we think that we need something in order to survive, because we've forgotten that he is our provision, that he is all we need to survive. He is enough for anything you could ever possibly want in your life. No. We don't. See, Christ was willing to come and lay down his life to sacrifice and give his all so you and I could live. But to live for him, oh, it's way too much. And it makes me think, how many times have I stood on that platform with Jesus and Pilate and I'm the Barabbas and they take the shackles off of me and set me free? I think, no, God, I deserve this. I deserve this punishment. I deserve this, this pain. I deserve this doubt. I deserve this separation. I deserve this death. But he says, no, go and be free. I will take your place. Could it be that there's a love so scandalous, so wide, 
so vast, so high, so powerful, so majestic that we have a father that would say, give me your sins? And when we do, we stand in this place of acceptance and forgiveness as free men and women in Christ while he goes off to the cross that we deserve. See, I see him. I see him heading to that post to be whipped in my place. I see him struggling to carry the weight of my cross as he goes to be crucified in my place. I see him as all the eyes have now turned from me and are focused on him, where in his last few breaths, he says, go, be free. I will take your place. I will take your sin. I'll take your shame. I'll take your guilt. I'll take whatever it is that is eating you up inside so you can be set free. It's hard to picture something like that, isn't it? To kind of help with this, I'd like to ask the band to come back up on the stage. And I've asked them to sing a special song. It's an old hymn called Jerusalem, and it's a really powerful song that kind of sets the stage. It sets the stage of seeing exactly what Jesus was going through in this time in history about the full extent of the length that he went so that you and I could be sitting here this morning to recognize that he has taken our place and set us free. But it does more than just paint this bad picture. It also shows that he has conquered death, that he has conquered over sin and fear and doubt and temptation. He has beat every single one of these things so we don't have to be held captive by fear any longer. Where we can say, yes, God, today I choose to celebrate you. This year I choose to follow you in a whole new way because there is nothing that can separate me from your love. There's nothing that can keep me from the life in which you have given to me. So I encourage you just to listen to the words of the song. See him in Jerusalem Walking where the crowds are Once these streets had sung to him Now they cry for murder Such a frail and lonely Soldiers hold a nail. 
show that he can save them. See him there upon the cross, now no longer breathing. Dust that formed the watching crowd, take the blood of Jesus. Fill the earth is shaking now. See the veil is split in two And he stood before the wrath of God Shielding sinners with his blood See the empty tomb today Death could not contain him once the servant of the world now in victory Praise the one who saved us. You know, if his blood is good enough for your salvation, it's good enough to sustain you through every obstacle, every sin, every fear, every worry, every challenge, every doubt you have in your life. Because Jesus is enough. And he's enough because he took your place. And I hope that you don't leave this place today without recognizing the importance of what Jesus has done and truly accepting the reality of it and letting it penetrate through your heart and through your mind. Where you don't leave being a Barabbas, being uncalloused and ungrateful, but leaving being set free by the power of Christ. So despite your past sins, your past guilts, your past murders, your past robberies, your past insecurities, your past insurrections, know and believe and accept in the forgiveness of God and know that he is waiting with arms wide open to take whatever it is in your life that you're afraid to let go of because he has already paid for it, because he has already taken your place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just once again so grateful 
God, that you would just be willing to take our place. God, to make that sacrifice that you didn't have to take, but because you love us. And we're so grateful that you are enough. And God, there are no words that we could possibly ever express to show you how much we value what you have done. But God, I pray that you challenge us that as we go from this place today, that we would start this year off knowing with confidence Satan's got nothing on us. That this world has nothing to control us. But God, that you have paid the price. You paid the ultimate price, God, and you took our place and you set us free and let us rejoice and go from this place knowing and feeling your amazing love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. God, we are so grateful for all that you do. And God, let us start to live this year like we really mean that. Pray this in your name, amen.